Welcome back to Escaping Gilead. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're going to talk about the second episode of the fifth season. This one also happens on premiere night. And boy, am I glad that it did. I told you when I watched the first episode that I was very much distracted by, I guess, the sort of listless nature of, of June figuring out her emotional status throughout the whole thing. And I, and I wanted more of a push into the season. And this is what we got in this episode. I was absolutely blown away by this episode. This is the episode that I would want to show someone if they were like, I don't really know if I want to really get, get back into Handmaid's. I'd be like, let me show you this one. Okay, it's going to blow your mind. All right. Every single storyline had twists, turns, super drama. And just the, the kind of writing that makes you like sit on the edge of your seat. I mean, honestly, I cannot tell you how many times I went, oh my God. Oh my, oh no, no. Like, I mean, I cannot believe it. And that is the type of TV that I just love to watch. And Handmaid's Tale has been amazing in bringing us kind of like those scary kind of deranged, like clutch your pearls. Like, I don't want this to happen kind of moments, you know, because they're kind of like tortures kind of stuff too. Happens. Right. Yeah. But this, this was like writing at its best when you get those moments that you're like, holy crap, visually stunning, loved all the change of costumes, all the different things that we were seeing, world building about Gilead. I mean, amazing stuff. Blown away, Paul. Blown away. Blown away. We're set up for the rest of the season after this. We know exactly where these people have to go now. Oh, I still have a couple of questions. Oh, do you? Well, yeah. let's hop right in with our titular handmaids, Paul. Let's do. I am so excited that we got to see Aunt Lydia come back in on the scene. Girls, girls, she's doing her best. That's my that's my very this best. Was, uh, Mrs. Garrett. Yeah, Charlotte Ray. This is the this is the full cast. Um, yes. Lawrence and Nick and Oh my God, we're back in Gilead. Things are going on. Serena Joy is coming back into Gilead to bury Fred properly. But if you guys have not watched this episode yet, get out of here. Put us on pause, please. Do not listen to this. This is going to be so much spoilers. Please. This is not a recap, however, so we're not going to hit every single thing that happened. We're going to hit our high points, low points, things that we want to find out in, in episode three, all that good stuff. So please put us on pause and go watch the episode. And if you like the way that we don't recap episodes, but talk about the important issues. <laughs> the, the issues of the day then please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Paul, Aunt Lydia, did you squee a little bit when you saw her? Oh, I always enjoy seeing Ann Dowd take the screen. She's always so commanding. It's funny, they, the way that they put her on screen, she, in some scenes, can look so dominant, you know, mm -hmm. fill the entire screen. But then when they stick her with the commanders, she'll look diminutive again. We were bringing back Esther and and reminding um, all of our audience members of Esther and Janine's connection. This was one of those episodes that tug at you from old stuff, stuff that you may have kind of forgot about. Janine's had a lot of things go on, but if we don't bring back the Putnams and Angela, I mean, the, the beginning of Janine's, the breaking of her brain, right? That yeah. happens. 
I mean, oh my God, Paul. Okay, so we're going to set the stage here. Serena Joy comes back. We were, we're heading over to have this like wake slash kind of like pre-funeral get together. It's it's a wake for all intents and purposes, but it's a little different. We definitely have like the women and kids going on in one room. We have our commanders 100% in the other. And I didn't realize that Tuello was going to be like escorting Serena Joy throughout this whole thing. Well, kinda. it makes sense. <laughs> Makes sense. That Would you think that they like sat him in the corner with a plate of food? Question marks. But we should assume that behind the scenes that there's a full diplomatic agreement between nations in terms of trying to manage any possible defection. What yeah. what repercussions might happen if that went down? I mean, that doesn't mean some sleight of hand isn't yet to come. Then again, I didn't notice that any of the commanders were interested in having her back totally no not at all i mean they were like like i mean when they were talking to lawrence and nick you know out on the tarmac there it was like let's get this done so we can get you back to canada yo like right like it was not like hey we're so jazzed to have you back here right Nah, not so much which uh, which of course brought right to the forefront the question of what about like is this waterford powerful name going to just like you know burst her right up the ranks suddenly and she can just do whatever she wants it was a bluff to get this far for sure yeah for sure for sure so right away janine has continued to mentor esther right and like we have this whole situation where now esther is going to be like the star proposed new putnam handmaid were you barfing out how did you feel about this I get the idea that we're trying to produce as many children as possible in this post-event world where women aren't giving birth. But the Putnams were blessed pretty recently in the scope of the, the show's timeline. So is it imperative that they get another fertile teenager in the house? I don't. This is what was making me think like immediately like this is going to be like a psychological plucking like throughout, especially for Jenny, but like for everybody in this entire episode, because they went straight for that. Like, hey, you're mentoring this girl. Let's put her in the house of your baby. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Lord. And maybe course, not imperative, but maybe Mr. Putnam seemed pretty hot to trot to have this girl in his house. That- oh, that. Mm. All right, we're going to talk about old Putnam, man, because oof. So they go to this party. Definitely Esther. I mean, how? What are you, what's your read on her? Like, do you feel like she is going to behave at this point? Or do you feel like she's actually learned anything? Because if you remember her from last season, she was full of piss and vinegar, man. She had figured out how to do all this poisoning. She had figured out how to, like, mess around with her commander right away. And she was not fooling around. You know, like, she was running that whole farm, The way that she refers to June in the moment at the end of the episode, right? It reflects some amount of of respect. And so June picked her moment. She took it and took it and took it and then picked her moment, right? To to make her move, at least initially. I think that's what she thinks she's going to do. I don't know how the poisoning is going to work into that exactly, but maybe that was just a detour. But the way that she could kind of rationalize going along with Handmaid's training, Janine's tutelage, Lydia's tongue lashings and, and all that was like, I'm waiting. I'm not actually submitting. I'm just waiting 
until yeah. I can make a move. She 100% had that vibe. I know that she wants some of these people like Lydia or Janine. I know that there's this desire for them to have her back, but she's just not willing to accept the circumstances at all. So it's like when Janine says like, I'm just trying to protect you. Like I'm just trying to keep you alive and being able to like deal with the system. She's so offended and betrayed by Janine even suggesting like she goes along with any of these things when Janine is not wrong. You know, when she says things like you'll, you'll be treated at the best you'll ever be treated when you're pregnant. It, it's like, that is not news I want to hear. You know, it's just like, I don't give a shit about that. You know, she has always got this plan going. So when we get to the Putnam's house and they're like, cool, yeah, we're going to totally accept Esther as the girl. Oh my God. And they leave Esther in the room with Putnam Paul that moment Talk to me about that moment when Aunt Lydia has to swallow hard and realize that he wants to be left alone with her. She can't say anything. She's an aunt. If she could say something, she might say something along the lines of, you had your hand cut off because you were screwing around with the last handmaid. Seems like a pretty logical thing to point out. Oh, no, I don't think Lydia can say anything No, like she that. can't. Right. I understand. But the idea of leaving her alone with this girl... He doesn't have a spotless track record, you know, so that's scary for her to, to have to do that. I didn't that. know what was going to happen. So, what so he proceeds to act as gross as possible. I know. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> that whole freaking chocolate, you guys. Uh, I thought for sure he's going to put his, his fingers like actually in her mouth, which I was, I was like throwing up on the floor. I, I'm serious. The amount of times I yelled like, oh, my God, at like so many parts of this episode. That was so wicked. And you watched Esther's little spirit, though, really start breaking. She's realizing that these women who are like so stern with her about these are the rules and this is what's going to happen and and we're going to be here and all that stuff. They just are told to leave and no one's there to protect her. And these people act like animals with her, you know, like he's so disgusting. I really I was like, bite his fingers off. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this guy is so fucking freaky. The protection that Janine can offer is not physical. It's really just telling her the rules and yeah. reminding her. If you do this stuff, you won't get killed right away. Yeah, and, and but she doesn't want to accept that. Like I said, she doesn't want to accept the circumstances at all. So being told the rules once again that day, you know, she doesn't view that as anything. I'm going to get straight to the actual poisoning situation. All right. So Esther snags these snacks, okay? She brings it over to Janine. They're, they're in their little, you know, gymnasium cot room situation. When they sit down on the bed and Janine starts snacking, immediately I look at you and I'm like, Esther's not snacking as much as Janine is. Like, I'm not feeling good about this at all. They had this great camera move. I don't know if you recall, but you were telegraphing what was going to happen. Because you saw it, right, as soon as the camera started to push in on the cot. Um, however, the camera then executed like a spin like around them. And as the camera came behind Janine and revealed Esther from the other side of her, that's when Esther's plot was unfurled. Well, that she, from the get go, hated Janine. Yeah. And her she first was, like, thought was the right thought. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And that, that her first thoughts were the right, right thoughts. And if you remember, Janine had a rough go at back at the farm. Remember, she was like all in love with the pig. Yeah, want anybody to kill that pig? Like Esther mm -hmm. had no business wanting to hang out with Janine at all. Like she's like, I hate your guts. This entire thing, I was like, Esther is diabolical. I mean, they did not break her 
mentally. They might have made her realize how dangerous these people are when she was left alone in that room. But she is just, I mean, where'd she even get the poison, Paul? Cleaning products, maybe. But I don't know what would make you just bleed out of your stomach right away. She but... is, well, but remember, her specialty is like the, the like herbs and stuff. Oh, remember, that's she right. She was all about like nightshade and those types of things. Like, She's she a little knew. chemist. She is. And she knew that stuff. So I'm like, whoa, like you're totally doing it. And she was so smart because she made sure Janine had like, I think she was on her second one that she was eating before she ate one. So it was like, to be certain... That Janine, like, she couldn't get passed out before Janine got passed out. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like she was, like, timing that shit. She is just, oh, she's so clever. Now, what is the point of poisoning the two of them? What is Esther's goal here? Uh... But there's some other end game. It's like she wanted to get them in the infirmary or get them somewhere into, like, a different situation that's what I'm predicting. There's somehow she is trying to move them. At, well, least, at least herself. I mean, those are pretty harsh words for Janine. That sounded pretty real. And, and we know that she's emotionally not balanced. Okay. I mean, I'll go with that. But but it's going to move both of them somewhere yeah. else. Yes. Now, for one thing, this takes her right off the Putnam's plate because she's like ill. So she can't be like going over she's to their house, all right? All kinds of ill. Yes. <laughs> so she can't be going to their house. So, I mean, in the short term... She cut this assignment off pretty quickly. But I I am so curious what her long game is. I have to imagine it was extricating herself from this exact situation and putting herself up into, like I said, the infirmary or somewhere where she can start working other people and other exits and, you know, figuring out how transportation works from that location. Like she is definitely working on a plan I just don't know what this girl's plan is. You know, is she going to be like an insider ready to start learning her sniper training for when June shows up or what? I don't know that I want her on my team. I want her on my team. I just don't want her on my bad side, right? I definitely want her on my team. I don't want her on my enemy for Mm. sure. (laughs) You can't eat anything with that girl around then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No kitchen duty. No danger, danger. So Esther and Janine and everything going on. I mean, Lydia standing over her, over them being like, oh my God. Like poor Lydia, like turns her back for a second and people are bleeding out their faces. Like bad news bears for Lydia, right? (laughs) Carol's. (laughs) Exactly. Like, what are you waiting, girls? Like crazy. Where did these brownies come from, girls? Oh my god, they're like the, they're those fucking chocolate balls that that they were eating. Oh my god. Like one of my balls. Ew, sick. Putnam, you're so nasty. So I'm very excited to see what happens with Esther and Janine. We needed to break up that training montage biz we were in with them. I needed something to be happening, and she's already like ripping this place apart. Excellent. All right, are you ready to head back over to Serena Joy? Yeah, sure. Okay. This whole plan of her walking into the commander's manville, right? Super brave. Cost her a finger last time she tried this. But as I predicted in the last episode, she was going to come in waving her widow flag all over this place, right? Yeah. Lawrence and Nick had already shown her these subpar plans for the funeral. Now, that church was pretty pitiful. That was chapel-y, maybe? Oh, uh, dude, there was like 10 pews total. You could fit like three people on those pews. Like, no, no, that was like so bad. It was pitiful. And I mean, I mm, mm, if I was Serena Joy, I'd be offended as well. Now, she goes ratchets it the other way. You know, I kind of wonder if they had given her a middle of the road 
funeral, which she had been cool with that. But they give her such a puny funeral, she had to go all the way to international coverage. She's going to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. I wonder when the other commanders got wind of Commander Waterford's pending treason, because... Putnam came and visited him Mm -hmm. in Canada, and all he knew was that Fred was disgruntled at the Gilead government not really making much of a play to get him back. I think that might be enough to be considered a traitor. You can't be disgruntled with the government. But that's it. Do you think it's possible that they're, I mean, it's just like any other nation, that they have some amount of espionage or plants or, you know, yeah. rogue elements feeding them? I kind of think that's why, you know, when they had to tell Serena Joy in the previous episode that Fred had been killed, why they had to, like, immediately get her out. Because, yeah, I think it's absolutely plausible that there's moles and bad dudes, like, all around. You know, I feel like last season we had questioned whether any of those people... Why, like, why they were allowing them to, like, pass notes between them and, like, talk to each other so much and whatever. Like, it seemed like there was a lot of leniency, you know, towards them in a lot of ways. So, Serena Joy plus Lawrence, man, I'm going to put a lot of highlight on Lawrence in this. He is, like, the captain of chaos, okay? He loves to make a plan just to press everyone's buttons. He's like, whose nerve can I pluck today? He just wants to create whatever plan that is the most outlandish and, like, gets all this stuff. He doesn't even have to, like, believe in the plan or want to go along with the plan or anything. But, like, there's something about his mastermind brain that just immediately goes to this wild stuff. It's like, remember watching The Apprentice? I know that that's everyone's favorite TV show these days. But do you remember there was, like, a habit of people that would actually win the thing where all they needed to do was right in the middle of the pack. They couldn't ever be responsible for a loss. They didn't ever want to lead, but they just needed to be on enough winning teams to get to the end game. Yeah, I mean, this is all reality TV shows at this point, yes. But that's what he does. His influence was starting to wane to the point where he was going to be executed because he didn't have any pull anymore and he got himself into a little bit of trouble. Now he's back. He's got the cords on his shoulder indicating you know some amount. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was already thinking, do you love me earlier when you were talking about Serena back in Gilead? Oh my God. Um, but you know what I'm saying, though, uh, right? I, I, it's like this he, is what he does. He, yeah, he got himself back in enough. He doesn't want to lead. Doesn't want to be the, be the big swinging dick that Calhoun has because that's dangerous. Or Putnam for that. You matter. don't want to don't want that. Mm-hmm. You just can't be so low anymore that they don't even bother thinking of you. I think that's that's pretty much standard government biz. No, you don't want to be the one on the headlines, right? But you also don't want to be like impotent. You want to be able to like you know enact change, but you don't want anyone looking at you when things go wrong. Right. What do you think of this Lawrence Serena Joy combination when he does get through the concept of an international huge, like, let's show our mercy, let's show our humanity, let's show the whole world that we have this society that does respect life? Because this is a tricky situation. The whole time that we've all seen Gilead, they seem to have no respect for life. People are dying left and right. We care about babies. But we don't actually care about like live adults, right? Like we can kill them off 10 a day. Don't matter. It don't matter. As if we have thousands of people, you know, just extra. But every birth is like, oh, another person. It's a real obsession with the live baby happening, right? Given that, 
do you think that it was Lawrence's idea? What ends up happening here? Because this is amazing twists and turns. Or is it Serena Joy? And I'm, I'm putting my hands towards Hannah here. I'm pointing at Hannah. Is this revenge from Serena Joy? Or is this Lawrence whispering in Serena Joy's ear? You know what would really fuck with June? Well, I don't know that Lawrence needs to fuck with June. He's yeah, just he's about, he's about fucking with everybody. But he's not know? against it, right? No. Like, like he needed to call in um, that airstrike last year. And he knew June was a potential casualty in that situation. But it was him or her in that situation. And we know who he picked. I think he adores the drama of it all. So June sitting back enjoying her life in Canada, the flippant nature when he's like, "We need you need to just like do this funeral and go back to Canada, Serena Joy, right? Yeah. That I think that there's something about all that, that no matter what kind of person he is in terms of getting any of these women out or anything like that, he has that whole other side of him that is just like this puppeteer. He just wants to experiment with people. He just wants to see if I move this person here, what are the consequences? What happens? How does this play out? There's something about his brain that does this. Remember, he was the guy who, when he was dropping off Emily before she went north, he blasts in the car, walking on broken glass, completely out of nowhere, completely inappropriate to the yeah. situation and the seriousness. He's just like, what do you think of this song? And he starts playing it. It's like, well, yeah, this is, yeah. You, <laughs> I mean, as, as smooth as Lawrence is with his delivery, like the words he says and the actions he actually does should make your eyes super wide. And like, this guy knows how to manipulate the situation and get not even what he wants. He just likes to just stir the pot sometimes, you know, mm. and like have things happen. Paul, when they decide that they're going to have this funeral and you know that those two birds work together to create this funeral. Yep. That his idea to start the guest list was epic. I mean, that was the most royal slash. I mean, just like the pomp and circumstance of it all. The uniforms that, you know, this is their first big old funeral because they just like, you know, chop people's faces off or like put them on the wall or whatever. They don't do this. The costuming that they create, I'm going to say uniforms for within the show, but like from audience members the costuming those veils yeah on like the wives and the handmaids i mean ghoulish as hell that super long black veil that serena joy is wearing blown away i mean i was like the amount of world building that they did with the flags and the and the flag over the coffin and everything i thought it was amazing i know you love it when they world build i enjoyed seeing all of that i enjoyed seeing the TV graphics when they were projecting it onto the screens around June and Luke, there was like little tags that said like rare look into Gilead um, state funeral or, or some, something to that effect. No nation really wants to have to put their funeral on every TV in the, in the world. But if so far, the only thing everybody knows about you is this really shady coup related history and you have these problems creating both extradition and like trade relationships with other legitimate nations around the world i think they're not wrong to try to use this i mean they all have their various reasons for wanting to use this right. situation but like you're saying like the it's like they had to whip up 
Yeah. What does a Gilead state funeral yeah, look like? Because they've never had one. So you guys, like every single thing we saw in that funeral, they had to sit there and like coordinate, like, well, who would walk when and who would be where? And like, we're having like a parade. And I thought the way that they shot it, and I know Elizabeth Moss was the director on this one. They did those aerial shots from up above to show those like, you know, military marching band type lines, you know, of the parade. And then mm-hmm. the way that the children were coming out. The and Choreographed turns. Oh, my God. And... I thought it was chef's kiss, Paul. Like the whole thing was like brilliant and really conveyed this sense of this put together well orchestrated ceremony that as a government this is the level that we're at you know because you've seen many other like third world countries or whatever and there's just people in the street there's chaos people are like running behind the coffin you know or whatever right there's like there's nothing like this when you see this level of precision and uniformity i'm like awestruck when they can do this because people don't do this anymore You don't see these types of processions anymore. Maybe in England would be like the only one. Mm -hmm. But even still, like, I mean, I'm sure when like the queen passes, Prince Philip was was pretty big. It was pretty big, but it was also kind of low key. I mean, he like had his little pickup truck that his like coffin was in. This is not the same. This is at like the highest level. And the choice of colors for everything, like the flag being like black and all that stuff, like they really shows this harsh and like contrasting color scheme that just made everything look like it was just jumping off the screen, you know? There was this cool, I, I guess it was a seal that, yeah. w- that was draped. With like the wings? But it was it was a combination of, of an eye. Mm-hmm. And then in the center was a long sword. Mm. And, this, and then the sword had wings. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed with the branding that Gilead did in about like a couple days. They're like, you know? we're going to need some stitching. Yeah, we're going to need I mean, some they, blankets here. They figured it out, right? They figured it out fast. Now, the other little like bird in the on their shoulder was Nick, you know, saying, like, oh, I think this is a good idea. I think this is a good idea. This is all swirling in my head. Why would Nick want this to be on television? Does he want June to see it? Does Nick want June to come back over there? Is he looking to stir the pot that way? We know that Lawrence... He wants to manipulate the world. Like, I think everything he does is just like a social experiment. He just wants to see what happens. He would be like the type of professor to be like, all right, make a government, create a flag. You know, what is going to be your hierarchy? How is everything going to work? That would be like, that would excite him. You know, Mm -hmm. Joy wants the power. Lawrence wants to see what happens when you play these scenarios out. Nick, however... Him piping up in that room and being like, oh, it would show our mercy. It would show like, you know, how how we do things. I was like, why are you piping? Could be sticking close to Lawrence gets him some proximity to June in some ways, although he manages that on his own steam, I think, pretty well. Well, they definitely seem to be working together. He does still seem to have something to learn from someone as advanced as Lawrence. I appreciated when he met with Tuello, and we, we can talk about that for a second, about didn't it sound awfully familiar, the little spiel that Mark was giving Nick and saying, like, I can help you. I mean, if he just gave him a matchbook with a phone number in it, wouldn't that be exactly the spiel he gave Serena Joy? Yeah. But, hey, we can get you out of here. Hey, we know how to do this. Just work with me for a little bit. Let's just get a little bit of information. Do you think Nick was going to bite on any of that? Like, was he actually interested? Yes. He's got a daughter. 
it would make for one terrible single season TV show of like my four parents for him to like move in with like Luke. Right. And Moira and everybody. Right. That would be kind of a scene. Do you think it's appealing? Because he, I think Mark's going to hit up against the same wall he hit with Serena Joy, which at the end of the day, the power is more important than the freedom. The power is more important than being back in the other society. Nick has status in Gilead. If he moves over to Canada, he's another refugee standing in line, getting the resource packet. Do you think he's actually going to be interested at the end of the day? Man, I want to hope more for Nick than that, that he can see like this is not a gold watch retirement party kind of society. You know, this is, uh, they're looking to find you guilty of something before too long. But also, I think that the power that that funeral held, I mean, there's a lot of people who are worried. When I die, no one will ever even know who I was. People won't show up at my funeral. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll just get off this earth. No one will know anything. If you're a guy like Nick and you see Fred's funeral and you see the whole world looking at this and like what a celebration and what a, um, you know, like true respect that comes with your death. I'm wondering if, if some of those younger commanders are going to be emboldened to like do more and be more ambitious because like, look now we're like making these state funerals that in a way that makes it seem like, like you're not going to just get your hand cut off or hang on the wall or any of these super degrading, sad deaths. You are going to have this, parade unlike any other with all of these flags and blah 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 like i don't know i'm wondering what this is going to mess with the commander's heads maybe the ones that aren't in the know i mean this particular commander blaine was had a hand in murdering the guy i mean Mm -hmm. they can paint it as a political assassination or something like that whatever they called it you know in their press releases but we all know he was torn apart like an animal yeah (laughs) (laughs) no totally all this was beautifully set up. You know, we have the the June and Serena scene with putting on their boots and they're both going to some event, but we don't know what June's doing yet. I'm going to stick with my Serena Joy. As we're following her through this whole thing, she has got this look on her face like she is just this determined woman. And I felt her changing into that widow queen that we had described in the previous episode. Like I felt like she was being set up as she walked down this period route She was now becoming the face of this widow in Gilead that I don't think you can just dispose of. Well, here's my question to you about that. Does she actually stand a better chance of living the widow of Gilead kind of life Mm -hmm. in Gilead? Or if she goes back to Canada, now she's internationally recognized. Mm. Well, I think the end of the of her walk down that road is going to answer your question because her cards lie in Gilead. If she wants to bring the fight <laughs> with June Osborne anywhere, boy did she pick it. As that entire scenario was happening and they were looking at the faces of those girls and my heart starts pounding and I'm like, "Oh my god, Hannah is absolutely going to be in this lineup." I thought we were just going to focus in on Hannah. Twist the knife, right? When Hannah is the chosen child to bring this bouquet of flowers to Serena Joy. And Serena Joy is like touching all over her and then like looking in the camera with that with that face on like, <laughs> June. <laughs> I mean, 
wow. I'm blown away, Paul. Blown away. She's like wiping away a, a tear with a, like her middle finger. <laughs> exactly. A thousand percent. So Serena Joy picks Hannah or Lawrence picks Hannah? Serena or Nick Joy. Picks Hannah. Serena Joy. You think? Because she's been keeping track of her this whole time. Fact. So Serena Joy. And she she was the one telling Lawrence the guest list. Right. So yeah. Serena Joy. Excellent. I mean, wicked. And I think that Hannah is going to end up being with it with Serena Joy. We're going to see her a bunch of other times. I think, oh, mm, it's like so, such good writing, such good writing to have this happen. Now, maybe other people are going to say, oh, I can see this from a mile away. The obvious choice for Serena Joy was to head back to Gilead and get her hands on Hannah. That is how you flip off June. That's the massive way to do it. It's like so obvious. But the way it plays out, the way the camera is scanning the crowd, and all of a sudden you realize who you're looking at, and then she's like the chosen flower little girl. <gasps> dying. Absolutely dying, Paul. And that there was so little dialogue through that part. Mm -hmm. It was actually a few minutes, and the, you could probably consider the dialogue that was spoken between Luke and June to be negligible, like because it was just like date patter. There's nothing. Right. So it was practically nothing. And you had, like you were saying, the juxtaposition of the lady in the black dress, the lady in the white dress, mm -hmm. uh, going to the ballet, going to the funeral, cutting back and forth. Yeah, it was really, really professionally, super well put together. You talked about that, that, you know, we had this meshing of these two plots during this time. Let's talk about what's going on over with Luke and June. We have a little bit of buildup to this night, so I want to talk a little bit about June and the buildup because we have Chekhov's gun here, right? It got brought up in episode one. Hey, everybody got a trunk full of guns. Anybody who wants one, take one. So I pass it around. June takes one gun, one gun in episode one. They don't talk about it again. No. Episode two, though, we see her digging a hole, putting her gun in the yard. It's kind of weird because it's like snowy. So that's very hard ground. And it looks like she's just kind of burying it in the snow. <laughs> Whatever. She buried it in the ground. She it's definitely in. has this gun, though. This gun's yeah. absolutely coming back up later. It can't not. It can't not. Give me a break. Chekhov would be rolling over in his grave, no? That's right. <laughs> we have June. She's a little gardener, a little green thumb, right? She's doing her arrow gardens. I don't know if this is, you know, some sort of therapeutic gardening time for her, or she just wants to be a nurturer. Not sure. But there's something about her gardening, right? That's that she seems very intensely into, yes. Yeah, a hundred percent. Maybe it's going to be poison. Don't know. Let's let's keep watching. She did hang out with us. Do they sell poison for the Aeropod thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's the one with the skull and the crossbones. Don't get yeah. that pod. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so then we're having game night with Rita. She's being a straight up bitch to Rita. I don't even understand. I like Rita. You like Rita. Moira likes Rita. Rita had a, a tough time. I mean, come on now. I know she's all like, I wasn't a handmaid, but I still struggle. I struggle every day. Remember that June? time she slapped you? I know. And no, let me be really specific about the time. Mora's like, stop it. Stop it. The amount of times they have to say stop it and the amount of times that June just keeps like giving more details to the situation. What is uh, going on? Is she trying to get someone else angry at Serena with her? That, that, I think yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she's definitely looking for allies, no? Well, I mean, she has them with the other handmaids, she, probably. 
Probably, but they have other people on their list. And like, they're kind of like brr on her now <laughs> because she kind of <laughs> took off, right? Yeah, total brr. <laughs> so, I mean, what the hell? What is with this aggression towards Rita? And P.S. super happy that Rita makes an appearance. She's too soft a target here. It's- now, we do know that the opening of the Scrabble game Kind of screwed her up. Yeah. I mean, it PTSD'd the situation right up because she was like, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm not cool. I'm not cool. Like real fast. She came out of her gardening sesh, totally mellow, then ends up flipping out at Rita in the kitchen. Like if if we would have seen June pull letters, they would have had PTSD. Yeah, probably. I think that's right. Like (laughs) K-I-L-L-R-I-T-A, like something like that. She's just like acting up, man. She was yelling so much at being so cruel to Rita if I was Moira, I'd be like, uh, stop running our friends off. Like, <laughs> Emily already freaking piked out of this situation. The other girls from the sub group is, like, over there, like, freaking making, like, bombs in their basements and stuff. Like, and now you're going to scream at Rita on board game night? Yeah. You're screwing with the vibe, June. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that was wicked. All I could go with is the 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 combination of the trauma, being reminded of everything, and then Serena Joy still being out there in the world, having her life. And this is just going to make June too angry. She can't handle it. She's got to let off some steam on Rita, apparently. Not cool, man. Not cool. So, all right. June and Luke heading out for the ballet. Now, I know that the ballet is Sleeping Beauty. We love the music. I kept listening to it over and over. We were enjoying it very much. I thought it had a great amount of like drama, kind of wrapping up everything that was going on in both storylines. Listeners, we are going to ask you to help us out with this one because there's a lot of little story parts to Sleeping Beauty that we can see. Of course, we have like an evil fairy. We have two 15, 16-year-old girls. We think Esther's around 15 or 16. We believe Hannah's around 15 or 16. That jives with the Sleeping Beauty storyline as Sleeping Beauty, as Aurora. We have these fairies who have different powers who come in, some good, some bad, and some can help and some cannot help. So we know that there's women in kind of these cloaked garbs, right, in Sleeping Beauty. You remember what they kind of look like? They kind of wear robes, right? Okay. Kind of like our handmaids, kind of like what goes on in Gilead, right? Kind of. Connecting our events like one to one with the Sleeping Beauty Ballet. We haven't kind of gotten there yet. That's no. why we're asking, like, because we do see that there's obviously can be some parallels here. But I'm not, I'm not, I need more plot to play out. I need another episode before I'm willing to say, aha, this is this character, this is this character. I'm not exactly sure who's who yet. But really amazing that they were at the ballet. I was feeling their couplehood. You know, she's like, they're holding hands. Everything's going good. They're in the city, you know, night out. They're kissing. She's wearing white, which is like very like she had kind of her her water time in the lake, you know, last episode. That the re- cleansing. That cleansing. She was going to. She was going to really do good. And then the bath time, like, okay, we're really in a better place. Now I got my gardening. I'm feeling super <laughs> good about things going on. And they're having this date night. When they start kissing and I realized that there were those giant TV screen billboards around them, my heart sank because I have spent plenty of time in Times Square. And I can tell you the news runs on those plenty, especially if there's like a breaking news thing, if there's something going on. All of a sudden, it's not a Coca-Cola ad. It's no longer like an Abercrombie and Finch ad. All of a sudden, there's like news running across these screens. Ah, 
I was like, oh shit, they're going to be kissing. And when June's eyes flick up to the billboards and realize I am watching a Gilead funeral, which June has lived there how long? There ain't been no Gilead funerals. So she already knows like this is a farce. Yeah. You know, like this shit doesn't happen. Secondly, this man does not deserve to be having this gigantic ceremony, you know, like, no, he's a bad dude. And then they uh, they zoom in on Hannah's face and she's just like filling up the cityscape. No, it was perfect. And every every one of the jumbotrons started to pick up the, the feed. Dying. I'm dying. I was I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. When Luke turns around and his face realizes because it, it takes him a hot second longer. Yeah. But just a second. I'm not saying long, but just a second, because June knows June knows she recognizes these uniforms enough. She recognizes what's happening. And if she reads Gilead, Paul, oh my God, you go like scrape me off the sidewalk. I, I was dying, absolutely dying. If you're Luke and June, after you already have this whole conversation about like, our family needs you here. You got to stay here for Nicole. You're not going to be talking about going back there anymore. Like that's not what we're doing. And now Hannah's little baby face is on the screen staring at you kissing enjoying your date night while she's over here with serena joy i think we're calling tuello next that's the only person we have but uh whatever interests we had that had maybe waned in in terms of the the hannah project are all of a sudden you know front burner type items i mean we had the this table set with emily leaving and like heading out and she was going to go do something better for Gilead. We knew this was like definitely in June's crawl, right? She's like, I don't know if I can stay here. I think I might have to go back and fight there. But Luke had a good compelling argument. Like there's kids here. We could have more kids. You know, we could have a whole life here and we need you here. Like, I don't know what happens to this family if you're not here. But then there's Hannah on the Jumbotron. Yep. This is probably my favorite episode we've had in this entire series. The way it was put together, yeah, just just all the emotion hits at the exact right way. It's like a it's like a tidal wave that just crashes all at once. And sometimes you can you can have like kind of a a jagged emotional hit on a TV show where they're like show you maybe like you might get thrown off by the poisoning that happened earlier. No, no, that's not really the big deal. Although that is a pretty major event in most shows. That could have been the only thing that happens in an episode, and we would have been falling down. You right. know. That could have yeah. been it. But when you put that with all the rest of this stuff that's happening, I wrote in my notes, holy shit. That's what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.